Hello and welcome to this Reorg special podcast where we will be discussing the impacts that Brexit may have on the recognition of UK cross-border insolvency proceedings in the European Union. My name is Sean Kureshi and I'm a senior legal analyst at Reorg's London office and today I'm fortunate enough to be joined by Edward Downer, a partner in the business reorganisation and restructuring department of law firm Wilkie, Farr and Gallagher. Welcome Ed. At the end of last year, the Brexit transition period ended and Boris Johnson signed the EU-UK Trade and Cooperation Agreement, which we will refer to as the TCA. Now, Ed, you recently commented that the TCA appears to ignore civil judicial cooperation, basically the way businesses resolve legal obstacles to free movement in the bloc, including mutual recognition of EU and UK insolvency laws and non-insolvency court judgments. In other words, you say, there's no deal in respect of cross-border restructuring and insolvency. So, Ed, perhaps before we talk about the consequences of the TCA, it would be useful to have a quick summary of what the position was prior to the TCA being signed. How were insolvency proceedings recognised across the EU? And secondly, how, how were non-insolvency court judgments, such as schemes and Part 26A plans, recognised? Sure. Thanks, Sean. So... Um, as you say, um, there, there were separate regimes for insolvency proceedings and non-insolvency proceedings. For insolvency proceedings, um, an EU regulation, the, the insolvency regulation, had effect. Um, and it um, gave effect to automatic mutual recognition of insolvency proceedings commenced in the UK and EU member states. And so whenever an insolvency proceeding was started in the UK, um, it, it would be given effect. And so things like administration moratoriums and the control of assets um, would all be um, vested in the UK-appointed insolvency practitioner to take control of them. And, um, and, and the same situation applied in reverse for insolvency proceedings commenced in the EU. Um, and then for those non-insolvency um, court judgments that we use for restructuring, such as schemes, and more recently the Part 26A restructuring plans, um, we would tend to um, tend to use for um, jurisdiction and recognition purposes another EU regulation, the Judgments Regulation, um, which which had uh, the same effect. Essentially, um, it it gave um, it gave that automatic recognition of schemes and Part Twenty Six A plans where they were. Um, where they were sanctioned by courts in the UK in respect of EU member state incorporated debtors. Okay, so that seems like that was quite a good position for the EU and the UK, UK to be in. What is the immediate effect of the TCA? Let's talk principally about what's the effect of the TCA to insolvency related uh, UK proceedings. So the um, as 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 we've commented and others have commented, it really is a hard Brexit for um, for insolvency proceedings, and so the automatic recognition that arose um, under that EU regulation no longer applies. And so, what does that mean? That means that 
um, other avenues need to be sought where you need recognition um, uh, for uh, insolvency proceedings, and that's both inbound to the UK and outbound from the UK into EU member states. Um, and 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 so the consequence of that is is everyone when they're structuring transactions or trying to give effect to orderly insolvency proceedings need to look to workarounds. Okay, that's that's that, that's my understanding too, and I think we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the 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 workarounds later in the podcast. Now we've we've spoken about insolvency related consequences, but. In, in our industry, I think the more interesting part is the English non-insolvency judgments. And most specifically, this is the very well-used scheme arrangement and the new Parts 26A restructuring plan. How what, what What's the immediate effect of the TCA on, on those sorts of judgments? So there's there's a lot of controversy about, about this. Um, and, and because the judgment regulation judgments, the EU judgments regulation no longer has effect. We can't use that um, to mm. obtain uh, automatic recognition. Um, and so um, in principle, therefore, when, when, um, when EU incorporated debtors approach the English courts for the sanction of schemes of arrangement and Part 26A plans, um, they'll need to satisfy the courts that um, that those schemes or plans will have substantive effect. And the English courts are always concerned to know that they'll have substantive effect in the home jurisdiction of the, of the debtor proposing the plan. And so, again, the same, the same situation arises. We just need to um, look to workarounds. But the, the complication, of course, is that it's not pan-European. And so we have to conduct the analysis um, for each separate state um, in which the relevant debtor is incorporated. So, for example, you may have a very different um, pathway for recognition in respect of a Dutch debtor than you would for, say, a German debtor. Yeah, okay, that, that makes sense. Uh, specifically in respect to the Dutch, German and the specific EU member states. But what about international treaties? Are there any easy or perhaps difficult workarounds that are immediately applicable or perhaps applicable in the future that uh, practitioners could use to get around these issues? There's a there's a bit of a dichotomy, I think, of approach. Um, schemes and and restructuring plans are often used simply as a means of compromising English law governed debt. Occasionally New York law governed debt, but overwhelmingly the process is, is done for English law governed debt. And where all that is sought to be achieved can, can sort of be characterised um, as, as, as an amendment to the, the respective parties' rights and obligations under that English law governed debt, um, then paths to recognition arise under the Rome 1 regulation, um, which is an EU regulation. And also there is a Hague Convention on Choice of Court Agreements. And both of those international treaties 
impact. They're both they're both given effect in EU member states, and both of them amend the EU member states' um, private international law, and should um, should 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 in most cases be viewed to viewed as an avenue for recognition. The dichotomy arises where the scheme or the restructuring plan um, has effect tantamount to an insolvency proceeding. And in that case, um, most EU member states will start to look at and characterise the, the plan or scheme as an insolvency yeah. proceeding. Um, and, and insolvency proceedings are excluded from jurisdiction under the Rome One yeah. and Hague Conventions. Okay, so that doesn't seem as, as straightforward as, as one would like. I mean, do you, how have these treaties been used successfully in the past? I guess being member a member of the European Union meant that you know the UK didn't have to use these treaties. But what what sort of issues can you see arising and how do you think there is a workaround to them? So the, the the core structuring point that, you know, UK lawyers will need to focus on is ensuring that they, um, that, that the scheme or the plan doesn't meet the, meet the insolvency carve out. Yeah. Um, the, the alternative is actually to make use of the, um, the insolvency regulation and that the, the the path most likely to be used there would be to commence a essentially an insolvency proceeding within the relevant EU member state, and um, and it would sort of give parallel effect to whatever you were proposing to do under the um, the scheme or the restructuring plan, and this is. Um, far from unprecedented. Um, yeah, we see that quite a lot um, in um, in Caribbean jurisdictions uh, and offshore jurisdictions, uh, where parallel insolvency proceedings or sometimes parallel schemes of arrangement um, are used to give the same effect um, as is intended through the UK sanctioned scheme or plan. So it's a case of further expense and having to do your research in the local jurisdiction, perhaps even running parallel proceedings. Okay, that makes sense. Now, I guess we can look at the inverse position. How do you expect the UK courts treating insolvency related and, of course, non-insolvency related judgments handed down uh, by the uh, courts of member states? How, you know, how, how will those be treated in the UK? I know we've got the rather archaic rule in Gibbs, which is that to put shortly, only an English court can compromise English law governed documents. Is this uh, ruling Gibbs likely to be be quite difficult to get around for European practitioners or trying to get recognition in the UK court? Or do you think the UK court will soften its approach and, and, and allow um, decisions from member member state courts to be given effect in the UK? I think the state of the case law um, makes it sort of fairly clear that the ruling Gibbs continues to have effect and is likely to continue to have effect until there is some statutory intervention. Um, and without going into the, the into any detail in, in how an international treaty could do that, um, mm. but there is an avenue there. 
Um, as it stands, um, the ruling gives is a significant impediment to that, you know, the, the um, EU member state court um, purporting to compromise English law governed debt. Um, and so the inverse would need to apply. There would need to be some um, English process um, to, um, to give effect to such a, such a compromise. Okay, that makes sense. So I think the final point, uh, which I think your 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 advice or your your knowledge would be useful on, is what practical new consider considerations should creditors and debtors alike be alive to now when they're approaching a restructuring in this post Brexit area, particularly where they think their European cross border issues are likely to arise. What, what's the key take homes? Well. I before um you know before before the tca had effect while while the uh, mutual recognition applied the carrots and sticks um that make up the uh, the restructuring toolkit in europe were very well known and understood um and now there's a great deal more uncertainty um so the the, the core um, piece of advice that we'll give people for, you know, months and years to come is it's essential to do more detailed work on recognition and enforcement um, because it does need to be considered on a case-by-case -case basis as we, um, as we embark on, on this slightly uncertain future together. Um, the, the the core issue, of course, we'll need to uh, reflect on in, in the uh, months and years to come is whether this has had a negative impact on, on what's otherwise been a uh, an extremely efficient um, restructuring and insolvency regime. Um, and, uh, and no doubt uh, legislators in the EU and, and the UK will keep future reform under careful review. Thanks, Ed. I think we've got a lot to look forward to and are very excited to see how both the European and UK courts develop in this area. Thank you, Ed, very much for your time. I think it's been very elucidating to our listeners. And thank you to our listeners uh, for joining us.